0: Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Correa.
1: They will not force us, they will stop degrading us, and they will not control us, and we will be victorious. Today's episode, Editing
0: nitty Gritty. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo, everyone. Uh, Hopefully, you guys are Muse fans out there like both Larry and I are. Um, well, that was actually because we're sitting here in Steve's
1: office. We're recording from his home office again with our new recording equipment to test it out for LibertyCon, which is coming up next week. Uh, and he has a Muse poster on the wall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, me and my son, I I took my son to Muse. Um, Logan's kind of become my, my, my son's kind of become my, uh, my little, uh, concert buddy for certain concerts. Um. I'm not going to take him to like Sabaton.
1: We got Disturbed coming up.
0: We do have Disturbed coming up. That'll be awesome. That's uh, July. That's just next month. Yeah. Oh, dang. Sweet. All right. So Larry, we're coming up on the end of season four, which blows my mind a little bit. That is crazy. Um, I think this is episode like 95. (laughs) Okay. So we're, we're rapidly approaching two big, two big deals. One, the end of the season. There's two episodes left, this one and then the following one, uh, and then a few episodes after that, we have our hundredth episode, which we'll probably record at LibertyCon.
1: If we were a TV sitcom, that would be like our um, we could be in syndication.
0: I was gonna say that's our syndication deal. Yeah. Um. So so to end out this season, um, Larry and I were talking, and um, in part of this, out of my um, mind-numbingly. my my mind-numbing stupor that I'm in right now talking about editing. So I am in the middle of editing, um, my, the, the first collab that I have with, with Mike Rothman called new Arcadia. Um, but that's, this is the third novel in a row, literally in a row that I've edited. So this is 220, 230, 240,000 words straight of editing over the past month.
1: Well, and what got me think about this too, is we were talking about this over lunch and we were meeting with another fellow who is a young writer, mm-hmm. uh, he had, you know, we just eaten lunch with him, local guy, and he had some questions for us. And we were talking about kind of nuts and bolts of editing and the stuff that grinds our gears and yeah. the stuff that we do, that we catch ourselves doing that we hate. And, uh, so we figured we'd put together an episode that was just kind of like the nitty gritty, uh, you know, how this, how the soup is made. Uh. And, and kind of go through like what it is that we do and what we do wrong and stuff that you guys can watch out for in your own writing and your own editing and just little tips and tricks for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been, okay. So I did, uh, just to give everyone kind of an idea of how maddening my life has been over the past month with writing. Um, so I did the author's edition of residue. Um, when that book initially came out. I mean, we, we've talked about the stories of history, I guess you could say of that book and the, you know, the 1800 million publishers it's been through. Um, I got the rights back and in doing so, uh, me and Mike Rothman were actually talking about it and and he suggested something to me that stuck. And that was like, he's like, I'm reading through the book and it's great. He said, but there's, he's like, it's a little weird. You do some mental gymnastics in there because your characters are 17 he said why don't you why don't you just do like a revised edition and you know age up the characters two years and then you can get rid of a lot of these weird things that you're talking around that that make people suspend their disbelief too hard i said oh okay well that shouldn't it shouldn't be it shouldn't take me too long to to re-edit this book i was wrong um
1: (laughs) Editing never takes the amount of time you think it's going it to. take. It always that, takes more. That's that's rule number one.
0: Oh my gosh! So I'm going through, and uh, I I I should have known I was in trouble when, uh, in the very first, opening prologue chapter, like I'm making changes every other paragraph, just to wording. Yep. Because you got to remember, you know, I wrote this book ten years ago. Um. In it, in you know, the, the most recent iteration was published about five. And so, um, uh, I've changed substantially as a writer. Yeah. Five years is a lot of experience time. Five. I mean, well, in, in 10 years from the, from the initial draft right. of it. Right.
1: Yeah. You've had a lot of, lot of, a lot of abilities that have been honed during that time. So though the story stayed the same, <laughs> you were telling me earlier, how much longer is it?
0: Oh, I mean, I probably, uh, I probably added five, six, seven thousand words to it.
1: Make that makes sense.
0: Uh, and it's, but the funny thing is, is I probably made twenty thousand words worth of edits.
1: Yep. It's interesting to me um, how this works. I've done a lot of collaborations, and I just finished up one, uh, Monster Hunter Memoirs Fever, with Jason Cordova, which mm-hmm. will be coming out in October. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's really interesting on that because. When you're, when you're editing a collaboration, you're going through and you're reading line by line by line. It's just kind of a painstaking edit. So we're not really talking about like a copy edit state. We're talking about like structural edits. I mean, we'll get into copy edits a little
0: bit. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, this isn't like a comma here or an extra comma there. I misspelled a word. This is, this is, I am literally, and, and you're talking about Larry, this is literally, we're changing the structure of lines and paragraphs and pages.
1: Now, when I do that, one of the things I've noticed is usually whether I'm editing myself or I'm editing a collaborator, the, st- the story structure for the most part doesn't change. Right. The outline, it still follows the outline. The scene by scene uh, still follows.
0: However, sometimes scenes change order. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about that with servants of war.
1: Yeah. There's going to be times where you have like, you wrote the book and you have the scenes in it and what you think is a good chronologic order where everything makes sense and it's parsed out. Yet in reading it, there's a, there's kind of a thing. And I don't really have a surefire barometer or test to put this on, but because this is kind of a, uh, a gut instinct thing. Yeah. And sometimes like you'll have back to back chapters and they just don't go together. hmm uh, and so one of my big editing things I do is
0: uh, I don't, I don't number my chapters as I write them know. <laughs> and it, <laughs> and it drives me nuts. Yeah, I, I don't. I like to, I like to number my chapters. It, it's a psychological thing for me.
1: Oh. It's, it's
0: like, it's like I'm making progress. That's, ah. your, that's your clicker. Yeah.
1: Okay. That makes sense. I, I get that. So, so what I do instead is I just write scenes. Yeah. I write scenes and I put a scene break. And I, when I do a scene break, usually it's just a, uh, uh, two little, uh, <laughs> number Hashtags. Signs, hashtags. Yeah. And that, I search for those, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just like when, anytime I have to put a note of something I have to go back and research or fill in later, it's XXX. XS, yep. Yep. Or two X's for like minor things, three X's for like big structural things. That's just my personal, uh, editing tools. Now on the, on the structure of the story though, for the most part, the stuff stays the same, but every now and then as you're reading through, you're like, hmm, if this chapter came a little earlier, that'd give us this much more foreshadowing of this cool thing that's about to happen. Or if I move this other chapter over here and then put a break chapter, I can get away from one character, uh, and leave them in a tense situation, go to somebody else and then come back.
0: Well, and, and, and
1: perhaps,
0: perhaps speed up the pacing. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's the other direction. You know, we were talking uh, with the gentleman we were talking with today. Uh, he was talking about his fantasy novel and he says he knows it's slow. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things about that is, is, um, is looking at the chapters and saying, uh, you know, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, page by page, chapter by chapter and saying, um, what happens, what happens if I split this chapter in two, will it affect the pacing? Will it help me? Um, you know, like you said, what if I, what if I take this scene and put it up here, uh, to, to help, uh, keep characters in tense situations from chapter to chapter to speed it up artificially.
1: Yeah. I would say the, f- the first stage of the editing process for me is I guess a pacing check
0: mm. okay.
1: would be a good way to look at it. So like if I have too much, um, uh, dialogue, info, uh, relationship building, character building, uh, exercises in a row and no action, uh, then I'm like, hmm, we've talked about in the show many times about the sine wave. Yeah, you went with the story to come up, come down. This is the first editing phase. Is when I get to check that. Yep. Because sometimes I'm like, mm, I've got too much, or nothing happens. I mean, stuff's happening. Stuff's always. If if nothing happens, don't put it in the book. Yeah, you should have cut that already. Yeah, cut that already. But when I say nothing happens. I mean, I'm talking about like pivotal events. Whereas, I mean, there's a lot of necessary world building, character building, character interaction, setup up uh, for later payoffs. But you got to vary this. And, and so this early edit passes, I read through, I'm like, hmm, I've got like three chapters in a row or three scenes in a row where it's characters talking to each other. Yeah. You know, what if I took this other chapter that's like, Hey, here's a travel money, you know, here's a travel log scene where we get to like experience some world building and some habits, some uh, adventurous interaction. Oh, I can move that up. Chronologically, it still works. You know, that's the big thing is don't break your chronology while you're doing this. Some people do that. If you, This is more of a third person thing than a first person. Obviously right in first person you tend to do a linear narrative. Yeah, This happened, then this happened, then this happened, right? Yeah. Yep. Third person, because you're bouncing back and forth between people, a lot of times there's times it's overlapping between them uh, and it gives you opportunities to to experiment and move around those scenes.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I've noticed the same thing. Um, now, I, I think that as, as I've written more and as you've written more, some of this stuff starts coming naturally through the writing process.
1: It does. I do this, I do the move scenes around thing less now. Yeah, yeah. Than I used to.
0: You know, I in terms of, like like for example, we, we can talk about Servants of War because, you know, obviously we were both <laughs> integratively, you know, super intimate with that process. But well,
1: and almost 100 episodes in, I'm pretty sure most most of the people listening to this probably bought a copy by now. You
0: better have. I hope so. Come on, man. Jeez. Uh, so... For the most part, the chronology of all of the scenes remained the same throughout that whole thing, with the exception of the very, very beginning.
1: Yeah, we moved our intro scenes around just, and we talked about that on the show before, because that was actually during this first editing pass process. Yep. And what it was is we, it was more, it wasn't a chronological thing, it was a tonality thing.
0: Well, and chronologically speaking, it was irrelevant.
1: Right. Because it was a scene that was kind of by itself in time. It didn't affect directly any of the other scenes around Mm -hmm. it. But what it was is it also kind of gave the reader a promise of what the book was about. Yep. And so that was the one that got moved.
0: And see, for me, that's one of the first things I'm looking for in in my, kind of my first pass as I'm running through things. I'm looking at, okay, what am I saying here in these scenes? What am I promising? And um, emotionally, what is the, what is the emotional trajectory of, of these scenes? Yep. Am I, am I, am I gradually ramping up or is the order of my scenes and the way my, you know, the, you know, the order in which I'm introducing characters and stuff like that. It, in my head, the end result should be an upward trajectory. If it's not, then I need to look at things. Right. Um, and, and say why. So that's another one,
1: too, that you'll catch on the edits is uh, violations of that, where you go the wrong direction for a while. And a lot of times the answer is not moving the scene. A lot of times it's just getting rid of the scene or tweaking the scene so it's yeah. more in accordance with what you're trying to do. And I, I guess I, should, I, I don't know what to call this. Tonal editing, I suppose. Mm. Vibe editing. Um, Sounds way cooler when you say vibe editing. Vibe editing. All right. So what I'm going for here, guys, is if I have a scene that feels out of place... Like it doesn't accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. Why? Why do I have that vibe? Why do I have that gut feeling? Something. Something's there in your subconscious is telling you that that scene is not accomplishing what you need it to accomplish. It could just be a boring scene. Yeah. It could be a scene where there's no
0: emotional stakes. Yeah. Or you know, uh, you know, we we've talked about the differences between outlining and and discovery writing, and and maybe maybe this is one of those moments where. You know, you've just gone up the wrong hill. Yeah. It could be one of
1: those, like when the Clinton Tarantino movie and all of it, it's a great movie and then all of a sudden there's like 15 minutes of like dumbness.
0: Like where, Looney Tunes, Zany?
1: Yeah. Or just two people like talking about stupid crap that has little to nothing to do with the plot and then it's just there and it's just like totally breaks up the flow of the movie. And then everybody's like, oh, he's so brilliant. He subverted our expectations. Guys, come on. When people read books, they don't want their expectations subverted. They want to read books and they be entertained. Yeah. So if you have a scene like that, that it's just, you know... Oh, we joked about gay cowboys eating pudding. Okay, if you get your gay, your two gay cowboys eating pudding scene, and it's just right there in the middle, what's this for? What is it doing? What is it? What is this? Is it bringing up the plot? Is it ratcheting up that tension? Is it setting the stakes? Is it building anything? And if the answer to all that is no, then it's useless.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we talk about it all the time, in in, in which your all of your scenes should be servicing your character. Okay, the plot. The, the overall narrative of the story. If if you're not if your scenes do not directly impact any of these things, um we I I think what we talk about is if if, if somehow your scene uh, impacts all three of those things, man, that 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 scene's wicked.
1: It's a good scene. That's
0: necessary. If it helps two of those things, you go, all right, like like this is good. This is helping drive it. If it if it only serves one, you need to do an evaluation of it. And determine, uh, you know, maybe you need to combine it with something else. Maybe you need to add something else in. If it doesn't serve any, it has no business being in your book. Honestly, like if you watch a lot of low budget horror
1: movies, <laughs> it's the scenes where the characters will just bicker pointlessly. Yeah. Pointless bickering. It's a, it's a running meme, running joke amongst the horror movie aficionados. Yep, yep. Especially low budget ones because they're trying to pad the ninety minute running time, right? Yep. They're trying to get to that, and so other those will have the character. So they've gotten eaten by monsters. They've, they've struggled. They fought. They've tried to survive. Then there'll be a scene for like ten minutes. Yeah,
0: the ten minute bickering scene.
1: Well, they're just like in the cave hiding from the monster, and they bicker. Yep. And it's completely pl- because what at that point it doesn't actually usually build the characters. It actually usually deconstructs the characters because it makes the it makes the watcher or in this case the reader it makes us annoyed. Like,
0: yeah. like, shut up, you idiots. Well, and oftentimes they have to bicker pointlessly against what their actual better nature is.
1: Yeah. Now, what you should have is, is if you've done your job, and this is once again the editing passing, is if you've built it up to this point where the actions of the characters make sense in accordance with the character, you don't need the, the pointless bickering scene. If they bicker, it's going to be for a reason because yeah. it's in line with what those characters would do and believe and say and think. Yep. I'm not saying bickering is bad. I'm just saying in nature, like this, this type of padding scene, pointless. Take that stuff out of your books, editing pass. And a lot of times this is the stuff that when you wrote it on the first pass, it seemed like it was necessary and good and cohesive, but you need to take a step back. Also, this is one reason I like to take a week off before I edit. You know what I mean? Yep. So if I finish writing the book, I don't just immediately start editing. I stop for a week. Do something else, then come back and edit.
0: Yeah. And, and, and man, that's been one of the, the unintended, uh, blessings, so to speak of, of writing collabs is by the time, you know, when I send you something or with, you know, any of my other collaborations I do, when I send someone something, they're reading it fresh, you know, they, they don't have you know, weeks and weeks and months and months of, of time, dre- you know, wandering through that swamp.
1: Well, When you're so close to a problem, you can't see the problem. Yeah. Because you're right up on top of it. Or there's things where you think, oh, I did that. I took care of that. I handled that. There's enough there. No, you need fresh eyes to go. Uh, no, you didn't. That's yeah. not there.
0: Yeah. I mean, gosh, sometimes, you know, sometimes we do recognize that there's an issue as an author. We're, we're like, "Ah, oh, crap. I know there's something messed up here, but Eh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to shoot this off to one of my readers and, and, and who I trust for this sort of thing. Sometimes we don't even know, we don't know, no. you know, because we've, you know, like, like with servants, right. Um, you know, I'm a hundred thousand words into this book and I'm, you know, and, and there are things where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that works. And then Larry goes, well, yeah, but no, because of X, Y, and Z. And as soon as it's, as soon as it leaves your mouth, I go, oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 You're right. You're right.
1: But seeing that time too. So by the time it comes back to me and I, I go over and I said it back to you, you've had time to distance yourself emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you can be more analytical. It's way easier to then look at that piece and say, oh, okay. Uh, I, I, you know. And that's for collaborations.
1: When you're doing it you're on your own, like regular, I think it's helpful to take that week. Yeah, for sure. And go work on something else. Because that way, when you come back, you've got emotional distance Mm -hmm. between you and the product, and you can be analytical.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, you know, we've kind of talked high level about stories, so I think we'll we'll take it a, a layer deeper here when we come back from the break. We'll be right back.
2: Dr. Megan McAllister was already an unusual human. NASA astronaut, professional astronomer, polymath when she encountered the man in the black suit that night in West Texas. What Division One agent Echo didn't know when he recruited her for Alpha Line was that she was even more special. But he'd find out soon enough. Award-winning author Stephanie Osborne uses the urban legend of the beings who show up at UFO sightings and make the evidence disappear to craft her vision of the universe we don't know about. Division One chronicles this universe through the eyes of recruit Megan McAllister, a.k.a. Omega, and experienced partner, Echo, as they handle everything from lost alien children to extraterrestrial assassination to galactic invasion and more. Alpha and Omega is available in Nook Kindle, and trade paperback wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, so in the top half of the episode, Larry, we were, we were kind of talking about, like, big structural things, talking about... Um, you know, pacing, like kind of like a pacing edit in a, in a, in a vibe edit yeah. as we talk about. Overall
1: it. big, high altitude editing yeah. view of the, of the manuscript.
0: All right. So let's, let's go just one, one layer deeper. Okay. We're talking page by page. Yeah. Chapter stuff, by chapter.
1: Stuff that we're looking for while we're doing this. Big things and little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is, I'll get this is a little thing, but it's one of the, it's a pet peeve, and I just say this because I recently took uh, a 13 uh, hour drive somewhere and a 13 hour drive home. So I listened to a lot of my audiobooks right. on the drive. Uh, I drove out to Washington State to, to do more gun school, earn my light pin for you gun nuts mm-hmm. out there. You know what that means? That's pretty badass. Um, but uh, repetitive word use. Yep. One of the great banes of my existence, one of my pet peeves, and one of, one of which every one of my collaborators knows that I hate. Yep. And when I say repetitive word use, what I mean by that is using the same specific word over and over again in uh, some dialogue or in some paragraphs where you see the same word appear like three times in a row. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about the, it's, and, no. but clearly I'm talking about disguised Yes, the word disguise. So if the word disguise comes up 3 times in a paragraph, that's uh, 2 times too many. No, you need to you need to mix that up. And this becomes particularly galling in audio.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have noticed it a lot um when when you and I first started doing um collabs here and there, you know, our tombs and santo stories from back in ye olden days. Oh, long, like 14 um, Yeah, 13, 14 yeah. years ago. Um that was one of the things that 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 I noticed. Was one of your big pet peeves? You'd always highlight the stuff from paragraph to, you know, definitely within paragraph, but also with on this within the same page. Yeah. If if a if a standout type of word was repeated in multiple paragraphs in a row, well, you know, we we would evaluate and we would change.
1: Yeah. Now, sometimes there's nothing wrong with it. For example, if you're riding a sword fight and there's two dudes and each one has a sword, a sword is a sword is a sword. The word "sword" is gonna get used. Yeah. Okay, that's just how it is. That said, you know, mix it up a little bit, guys. More, but, but Steve pointed out disguised. Uh, there was one the other day, and I think it was, uh, oh, I think I had the word collision. Oh. <laughs> and I used collision like three times on a page, and I'm like, oh, dang it. And what happens is you don't notice this while you're writing. But while you're editing, you're distant enough from the manuscript you can. not So if you notice that you're starting to use a word over and over again, just, you know, do Control f you know, do your find, see how many times you use that word in the manuscript and see where they're congregated. Yep. I'm not saying you can't use this. I mean, you got a hundred thousand words. Obviously you're going to use the same words a bunch of times. Yeah. But they tend to cluster. They tend to cluster. Cause what happens is the way your psychology works, your boy, your brain works is you're trying to come up with cool dialogue. Your brain will suggest cool dialogue. And that word is now stored up in your brain. You put it on the page. Well, it's still in the buffer. Yeah. <laughs> there are times where I'm editing, and this is a true story. And this is an interesting. So I don't know if there. I don't know what the brain science is behind this. Wish I ask Rob I, Hampson. I ask Rob Hampson. He'll know. So I'm reading through, uh, like I'll say a line of dialogue, and I'll think to myself. And they say this is a book that I wrote ten years ago. And I'll think to myself, it would be really cool to use this the, the word X right here, right? Next line, there's the word, because my brain, the way it buffers, says, oh, this is a good place for this vocabulary word. And then it comes up on that and it's there. No, the problem is when you're actually writing the manuscript, that's still there too. And you forgot you just did it. Yeah. Or you don't realize you just did it. Or if it's like on your first pass it, while you're actually still writing the book, you just go back and
0: you're fixed and stuff. You'll insert more of these. Well, and, and I noticed too, Larry, is, is I'm, as I'm writing, if I get into, you know, we talked about one of our previous episodes, like a flow state or something like that. Oh, yeah. When, when you get into that almost stream of consciousness where, where, you know, you're just clacking away at the keyboard, things are going smooth. Yeah, you ain't thinking you're doing. You're not thinking you're doing. Um, a lot of times you're thinking is the same word over and over and over again. Very possibly. Uh, and... But, you know, it's more important to get the words down on paper. You can take that out yeah. and post. You can edit that out.
1: No, this is like what I'm saying here, guys. This is a this is a quick and easy fix. Yeah, these are not problems. And this is another reason I like to read things. Anything that's convoluted uh, or dialogue, I like to read out loud. Yeah. And that stuff becomes really obvious. Um, and not a, a lot of times, it doesn't matter. Like I said, a sword is a sword is a sword. Um, the, the joke with... Cause with me and Mike Cooper, you're writing Dead Six. Is there's not enough synonyms for explode? <laughs> and we were writing these are these are explosion based books, guys. There's a lot of
0: stuff exploding during these books. <laughs> somewhere,
1: somewhere, somewhere,
0: uh, Michael Bay is is cringing because you said those phrases.
1: Yeah, and so I'd be like, <laughs> and this exploded, and this exploded, and this exploded. No, nah, we got to mix it up. All right, that's, that's three things exploded in three three sentences. You know, so. So watch out for that. That's, that's
0: a pet peeve. One of mine. Uh, One of mine is when, uh, when I'm reading through stuff and, and I, and I'm talking about the different actions that a character is doing. So whether it's first person or third person, if it's first person, it's, I did this, I did that, I went here, I did this, I shot that dude, and then, you know. The, and, the, and I made out with this girl. The river of eyes. The river of eyes. And, and, and in third person, it's the same thing. It's a, he did this. The or river she keys. did it. he, she's, right? Yep. And so um, it, it, it's very easy when you're writing to fall into that trap. Uh, and so when I'm going back and I'm editing, I'm looking for things like that and saying, okay. And, and oftentimes it's just as simple as switching switching the order of the pieces of the sentence around. Yep. You, know? It, and, you know, it's, you know, it's. Um, he noted, or I noticed the, the red car. Okay. Instead, there are a lot of other ways. You just have to switch the sentence around. Um, the red car caught my eye or, um, you know, as, as you've said before, something to the effect of, um, there was a red car. Yep. The
1: red car exploded.
0: Yeah. The red car exploded in an explodey explosion of explosionness.
1: Yeah. So like we talked about this in the first person episode, don't feed everything continually through the same lens, even though it's coming through the same narrative lens. Uh, you don't need to say, I, 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 you can also have things just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was just there. It doesn't need to be, I saw it there. It was just there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And man, I in a way, I kind of wish, talking about sentence structure, I kind of wish Chris Rocchio was here. Oh man,
1: he's a master.
0: Because he, it isn't just that he's good at writing it. He's good at talking about how he writes it and why he writes it. Yeah.
1: My problem is explaining a lot of this stuff is I am a creature of instinct on a lot of things. So. Me too. Me too. So, so on a lot of the editing, it just either feels right or it mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. And a lot of times when it doesn't feel right, I can't necessarily tell you exactly why. As I still say, the best edit I ever got was from Tony Weisskopf. This make scene suck. sucks. Make it not suck. <laughs> and she was right. It did suck. and needed to be good. Mm-hmm. Now. So I guess that's one reason we're trying to give you guys arm you guys with like some nuts and bolts specific things. One that's big to me to do on the editing pass is character voice consistency.
0: For sure,
1: we were actually talking about that uh, earlier at lunch, and with about another very famous writer, very successful writer. We're not going to bag on. We don't bag on other writers on the show, with the ex- exception of you know one or two dudes who deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there there is there are some good a- writers out there who. The character voice is inconsistent where, and this editing is a good time to pick this up. And that's where a character will say something that is out of character for them. And it doesn't feel like their voice. The way the test of this is I want to be able to read through this. And if let's say I took out every single dialogue tag in the entire book, if I'm doing my job, I should still be able to tell who's talking Mm -hmm. either by the way the scene is set up or by the nature of what they're saying. So in the editing pass, if I have a character saying something that's just doesn't feel like that character, I need to rephrase that dialogue so it sounds like that character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. the And, and I guess this is kind of saying the same thing, but in a, in a slightly different angle, um, if I'm, if I'm going through and in my edits, I've made every character sound the same, right? This is just another way of saying the same thing, right? If I've made every character sound the same, then, then that's an issue. Like if every character is witty, then no one's witty. Right. If every character talks like a, um, like a 1930s PI, then, then there's no differentiation. Right.
1: If every character sounds like a snarky 40 year old white guy writer, Uh (laughs) you know, you're, you're not doing your job. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like, here's the thing. That's like, honestly, one of the biggest criticisms of Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I said the reason Joss Whedon can get away with this, or, n- or did. Well, it did. Well, for for example, like Firefly, uh, yeah, a lot of the writing, like everybody had the same sense of humor and stuff, but the, the actors were so damn good, and the actors yeah. were so damn talented that it didn't matter, because each one of those actors delivered that stuff and that sense of humor in a very unique way.
0: Absolutely. Books don't have that. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't all have Adam Baldwin- yeah. you know, going Jane and and, and being yeah. all gruff and stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, see,
1: there's there's a, there's a very different thing. So everybody can have the same sense of humor on a TV show as long as you got a talented cast of actors to carry
0: it. Yeah, or you know, like like the show Ted Lasso. Okay, I've never seen it's, it. It's it it's funny. It's super funny. It's very British um, in a lot of ways. Mixed with, um, I, I think you'd like the Ted Lasso character in a way. He reminds me of your um, of your Happy Assassin.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I got to. Watch um,
0: that. He's just in, in that he's just always enthusiastic and always optimistic, right? Um, and so he, uh, it makes for a nice change, but you know, these people are funny. They're all funny. Um, and, and in a way, a lot of them are witty and they all make these weird kind of flippant offhand comments. And yet the actors do a really good job for the most part of, of showing why, like showing it through their lens. Like there's ultra gruff guy, and then there's the guy who's like the pretty stupid guy and uh, he's, he's a pretty boy, but he's, he's just dumb as heck. Yeah. Right. And so you see this now as the series goes along, a little bit of that gets muddy, but especially in that first season, it's so snappy. Um, but yeah, we, we as authors, we can't rely on, I don't know, uh, Edward James Olmos and, uh, and Katie Sackhoff, right? Being being awesome actors and actresses, right? We can't rely on
1: that. No, the actors are only as good as the reader's imagination. And so the the material that we provide has to be perfect. and has to be distinct. The writing has to be distinct. That's our biggest key. That's our biggest takeaway. And honestly, this is the point where you have to hit it. This is honestly your last real chance to get that right. Um, and so if I'm going through and I see that like a character... Said something, and it was a good, funny line, but I'm like, mm, that character wouldn't say it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and take that line and give it to somebody who would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes you just want to give a character a chance to shine, and that's great, but make sure they shine in a way that's organic to them. Because you can have unfunny characters say funny stuff, and then it's really funny.
0: Yeah, well, you know, especially if it just kind of comes out of nowhere for them. Yeah. Well, you know, um, humor is super hard. Um, w- when I was doing... When I was doing my edits for Residue and the sequel Parasite, the re, 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 re edits of everything. Oh my gosh. I'm so sick of those books now. Um, you know, in each of those books is six to 8,000 words longer than it was before. Like,
1: what's your least favorite book? It's like, whatever one I them. whatever one I am working on now, what's your
0: favorite book? Whatever one I just finished. Yeah. So um, I was going through, and this is one of my, this is one of my self edits, Larry. Um, when I'm writing, sometimes, uh, I'll, I'll let, I'll let like humor slide in. Um, I, I love, I love watching comedies, right? You know, it, it's no secret that I love the show. Like psych, I, I adore that show. I think the dialogue between them is, is hilarious. Yeah,
1: Cosmo buttersnaps is still my you know, go-to alias. Exactly.
0: For- um, MC clap your hands. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, y- you see these things and, 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 and I love those and I love their snappy dialogue back and forth. And sometimes no matter what I'm writing, that'll sneak in. Now, and in, in, in the residue, uh, in the Jack Bishop series, the residue series, some of that comes through. And so as I was doing these edits, one of the things I was looking at, I was specifically looking at the humor that, that was in there. Some of it's good. Again, I write, you know, if you're writing horror or, super, or you know, supernatural thrillers and stuff, um, a little bit of humor can go a really long way in, in those things, either to cut tension or to add to tension. And so I'm looking at the humor and saying, does this actually work? When I wrote it in a fever dream of, you know, Mountain Dew and no sleep, you know, I thought I was Terry Pratchett, but <laughs> am I? No, the answer is no, I'm not Terry Pratchett. Um, so I, a lot of what I did is I was cutting humor. I was just cutting sentences, like little, little pithy one-liners. I'm like this doesn't hit like I thought it did on a reread.
1: Right. It's either out of place or it's not. Mm -hmm. If it's out of place, got to go. Yep. That's the, that, that editing pass is such a powerful thing and it does honestly suck because to me writing is fun and editing is work. And that's why I think 20, 26 books in now my, I don't edit as much because I'm a better writer. So I have, I've trained myself what to do up front. So I spend less time on the back end.
0: Oh, thank goodness.
1: But then again, I do all these collaborations where
0: it's like way more editing. But but don't you think, Larry, don't you think that working on a lot of these collaborations has also made you a better writer?
1: Oh, definitely. Because I've learned something for everybody I've written a book with. Yeah. I I can even a lot of times nail down specifically what it is. Because like I said, a lot of this is instinct, but I've seen the stuff that other writers do and I'm like, okay, that's really cool. I see what you're Mm -hmm. doing there. That's neat. Uh, and other times it's like, oh, I see what you do there. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know,
0: that doesn't work for me or whatever.
1: Right. But, but honestly, guys, it's a process of continual improvement. You know, uh, oh, speaking of continual improvement, that's because really what the editing is. This is another part where you get your little technical little bits. Like if you had somebody had an item in their hand and the item vanishes. Oh, yeah. Where did it go? You know, or, or an item they didn't have. Suddenly he does have.
0: Yep, when he yep. needs it, you or know. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, he was holding the phone in his left hand, and then in the next scene, suddenly it's in his right hand, or the gun was in his left. And now it's in his right, and now it's in his left, and now it's in his back pocket.
1: Yeah, sometimes like, that stuff doesn't <clears throat> matter, but or you don't need to give me that. It just he had the phone, right? Yeah, you, you need to say where it was. But sometimes it does matter. It's kind of like when I was talking about editing with uh, Mike Kupri for Dead 6, we had the, the scene with the tonfa, you know, the, the side hand uh-huh, the baton. Side and baton, yeah. I had like a whole paragraph describing how he beat a guy with a baton because he's trying to describe this weirdly shaped weapon. And we just, in the final version, it's just he, I beat him with a baton. Because <laughs> all that other paragraph of information just didn't matter. It didn't matter. But the, but the this edit is a good time to catch that little stuff. Like uh, in Fever, there's a scene where they uh, try to blow something up, and uh, the bomb doesn't work, and so they're trying to improvise a way to blow up the bomb. And at one point, they, one of the guys goes to set a roll of toilet paper on fire, mm. and and As throw the <laughs> flaming roll of toilet paper at the explosive. And it happens, which totally doesn't work. No, but it was a desperation move. But but then we had the toilet paper show up later, but it wasn't burned, right? And I was like, okay, just. Oh, all right. Wait, let me let me, let me fix that. Right, because yeah. a lot of people, if we had managed to set it on fire the first time, it's not going to be sitting there at the end, not on fire. Right. You know, just little things like that. Because when you talk about like when you're in the zone, your brain's not catching little continuity. TV shows have continuity editors. Yeah. You know. Um, we, in writing, we are our continuity editor.
0: And and sometimes I mean, and we're not perfect. We'll miss stuff. It's fine. But hopefully, through the editorial process, we can catch some of these things. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Um, another one of the big ones I do, and this goes back to uh, we had Craig Nibo on the show several weeks ago talking about passive voice. Right? Um, try as I might, every now and then some passive voice sneaks in. It it happens. You know, and <laughs> and that mm, <laughs> the it. passive voice happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you know I'll check for that. The other one, the other big one for me is the word was, uh, sometimes there's just no getting around in the sentence, like to, to rewrite that sentence so that the was, wasn't there, um, takes a whole lot of effort for like maybe no gain. Actually, it might even detract from the from the paragraph, from the structure, from the story I'm telling, from the pacing. But a lot of times, you know, the car was red. It's like, okay, well if I can say this word, if I can say this sentence in a little bit more interesting way to get rid of, to get rid of was, it actually makes for a little bit better writing, you know, a little bit better storytelling hmm. technique.
1: That's not one I've ever thought of.
0: Yeah. I, so I I do that. That's one, I think it just stands out at me. And some if I, if I, I'll read it and I'll say, does it matter? No, no. And then, and I'll go on. And there's sometimes where I catch it and I'm like, I just don't like the way this sounds. It does matter, Yeah. And so I'm going to change the structure. The car was red. Okay. There's the red a- car passed by leaving me in a plume of of exhaust smoke. Yeah. Instead of there was a red car that yeah, passed by. Because that me.
1: you got your descriptor in there.
0: And in and, you know and it, and it helps you by doing that oftentimes it helps you restructure the sentences so you don't have like the river of eyes or the river of he's or the river of it's. Yep. You know. Well,
1: sometimes it's just like you have a way of saying something and one, and it's nothing wrong. It's just, it's more boring. It's a more boring presentation for something that could be pre- presented in a more interesting way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rule of cool,
1: baby. Yeah. And this is honestly, this editing passes your chance to catch that stuff. There's one that and I talked to you about this during servants of war and it's a, it's a structural thing that you do and it works fine. Unless as, I do it all the time. Unless you do it all the time. <laughs> Which I do. And I'm trying <laughs> to even, uh, it's the, yeah, it's how do the, you describe this? It, so
0: it, it's basically, it's, Big paragraph. Big paragraph. Big paragraph. One line punch. Big paragraph. Big paragraph. Big paragraph. One line punch. You know, it's uh, you know a lot of times I'll use really short one line um, paragraphs, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, as an exclamation point. Um, on something that I've just been describing. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. I, I mean, it, some it, it's, great it's, authors. it's actually a very valuable tool.
1: A lot of thriller authors do it, I've noticed. Uh, that's like a very Dean
0: Koontz kind oh, yeah. of movie. Well, and I'm, you know me, I'm heavily influenced yeah. by like Michael Connelly and Harlan Coben.
1: Yeah, the, that stuff works good as long as you don't overdo it.
0: Which I do. Which, because you
1: love it. I love doing that. There's parts like, Steve, you <laughs> just did this. Yeah. And it was like, this would <laughs> happen, blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. And there's a big paragraph probably you know or yeah. you know or, yeah. or whatever and and but, but it's like it's like that works but it's like honestly it's like anything that you do you can't over it all
0: works it all works it all works until it doesn't
1: right and i do it too I, I i use that same i use that same trick uh and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and it's just one of those it's like a lot of the stuff you notice we're talking about on this guy's just overusing things it's yeah. like it's like using too much of the same spice in whatever you're cooking
0: yeah yeah you know a lot of people like salt and pepper. A lot of people like black pepper. Yeah. Until you've put in like 17 handfuls of it on, you know, one turnip. Well, in that case,
1: people who love pepper are going to love this book. Maybe. And everybody else is going to run away.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. You know, we're we're, we're kind of running out of time on this one. Um, are, are there any other kind of last things that you can think of, Larry, that, that you're like, you know what? This is one of the things I've learned through editing these things that, well, the, well, that, that really stands out to me.
1: My, obviously my, my, the there's two steps I do in this process is, this is, and I've talked about this on the show before. This is the stage where I go through and I do a search for said. Oh yeah. To make sure I didn't use too Good many. call. Yep. I and a lot of times thing. I can get rid of them. Yeah. Or change them to something else that's more well, interesting. Well,
0: and, and if, if by getting rid of the said, this goes back to of your earlier comments, if by getting rid of the said, the scene becomes confusing because you can't tell who's talking, what can I do, you know, either with physical cues or, you know, instead of saying John said, it's like, uh, John leaned back and wiped his nose or something. Um, You know, Steve sniffed dramatically because he has allergies. You know, like what can I add into the scene to, to balance that out? Or like you said, are my characters not speaking like they should
1: yeah so that's a big thing and like a lot of old school writers they just use said for everything that was like the rule of thumb and whatever that's fine it's a dated technique though and it really sucks in audio so it's a personal preference thing but if i if i check for said and there's 800 saids no i know we we know we can cut half i know i can cut those i like i said most of my books now there's 100 yeah realistically my first book there was like 500 which to me is a lot, but I actually edited another guy one time uh, and there was like 1800. Holy crap. Yeah. And it was because like every spoken line was so-and-so said, Bob said, Jim said, Fred said, Oh,
0: that's exhausting.
1: It's, it is. Exa- it's exhausting. But, and it's like I said, older school writers do that. They don't notice it as much. Uh, it, it, it depends on where you came up in the terms of if audiobooks exist or not and, mm-hmm. and were common. That's the biggest cutoff on that. And the very last thing, honestly, that I would advise is this is if you use profanity, this is where I do my control F for profanity yeah, and see if I have overused it. Yeah. I So I will control F, put in the F word, and I used it 86 times. Yeah. That might be a lot. Let's go check and see where those all are. Oh, 83 of them are from one character. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that might be a problem. So, so check that stuff, you know, um, basically this is your final tune up. Yeah. Is how I look at it.
0: Yeah. And you know, after the, final, you know, you'll turn this into your editors. Um, your editors, editors will go through, they'll, you know, they'll catch stuff that you didn't catch. Because, you know, we're not all experts on everything.
1: Yeah, nobody nobody is too big to be edited. Some authors think they are and yeah. they're not. Because yeah. they're still human.
0: Yep. Everybody yep. needs
1: everybody well, needs to get an edited
0: pass. You know, I was having this conversation with producer Jack the other day. Um, and, and one of the things I said is, yes, as as authors become larger and larger, oftentimes they've progressed to a point where you would think and hope that a lot of these smaller things just come naturally to them. Yeah, it's like just practice. But there also comes a stage where, and and we see this in publishing a lot, where the big, 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 big giant author doesn't get edited anymore. Because on the financial side of things, the idea is, yeah, yeah, I mean, we could assign an editor to him or her and they could edit. and, And yeah, they would make the book better. But is it going to make it sell more books? Probably not.
1: Like Stephen King can blow his nose and people are going to buy the tissue. Well, I mean,
0: you know, Stephen King could, Brandon Sanderson could, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling could, you know, they can, they can pretty much just not be edited and most people won't care. Yeah. However, the, the longer we go as authors, and this isn't just authors, this is all professions. The longer you go into a profession, the more set in your way you become. You you kind of start thinking a very specific way. You do things a very specific way. I mean, this is I mean, we did this as accountants. Engineers do this. Yeah,
1: you become formulaic mm-hmm. and repetitive.
0: And so it's good to always have someone, uh, an editor, a pre reader, whoever, come in and say, uh, "You realize that you're doing this one thing over and over and over again, right?" Yeah. So, so switch it up just a little bit. I
1: say I say honestly, a big part of this process when you're editing yourself and your final pass is humility.
0: Yeah realizing you're not man you are not the Which god is, you are not god
1: i know because people are going to laugh because they say oh larry crea said be humble no I'm, I'm i'm being serious first off like you got to have ego to do what we do mm-hmm. nobody is a professional writer if they didn't think they're an awesome storyteller yep period you, you otherwise this business is going to chew you up and spit you out so you got to have some ego but when you're editing yourself you got to be humble and recognize you're human and you're going to make mistakes
0: yeah, I mean, you know, someone out there is laughing, like you said, Larry. Oh, Larry being humble, but it's it does happen, dude. I I mean, I've I've given you content, yeah, continuity edits, um, and 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 I've given you suggestions and on on numerous projects.
1: Actually, all all my co-authors have at some point yeah. been like, "Hey, I like this better," and I'm like, "Wow, okay, you make a valid point."
0: Yeah, um, and and so it just so just to be clear, like. Larry's not saying like, like, ha ha ha, I'm better than everything. No, he's not. In fact, when it comes to the editorial process, the best thing I can say about Larry is everything that he does is in service to the story.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You got to check. You got to check the ego at the door. The personal ego in is like the story about the story. And if somebody else has a better idea for your story, be honest mm-hmm. and be truthful and be analytical. Mm-hmm. Because just because somebody makes a suggestion doesn't mean it's
0: right. No, but sometimes it is wow sometimes it's better than what you have oh
1: yeah totally i've totally had that
0: all right well that's all the time we have for y'all today uh hopefully you you all enjoyed kind of this this weird kind of nitty-gritty um mainly this was an opportunity for me to uh talk through my madness of being of editing 200 and some odd thousand words over the past month because i'm going crazy and not in a good way uh it's like a lovecraft way so um anyway hopefully you guys all enjoyed the episode. Uh, we appreciate you all. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the writer dojo, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer dojo is
1: Steve Diamond and Larry Korea, produced by Jack Wilder
0: and Bear and Hair Studios. The theme song Word Mercenaries by Craig Nilo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to
1: anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on
0: the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Blah, 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 blah.